you know, that's one family out of, uh, you know, the 7,500 we've helped this year. And uh, they're not a number. They're real human beings that need the Lord. And uh, from that disaster came to faith in Christ. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and today I want to share stories throughout the ministry. Stories that aren't in the headline news. They're responses that God has given us the opportunity to serve and go. And this week's episode is modeled after the story in Genesis 16. Uh, This is where an Egyptian slave named Hagar flees to the wilderness. Hagar is scared. She's pregnant. She's been abused, and she's alone. And an angel of the Lord met her in her place of despair. She named the Lord who spoke to her El Roy, saying, I have actually seen the one who sees me. And in that circumstance, God saw Hagar in her pain. And that's what this episode is. God sees. And I think that's what we do at Samaritan's Purse. We, we go to people in their physical distress and pain uh, to show them God's love, show him that he sees them. We want them to know that God is near to the brokenhearted, and he hears their cries. And we know that the news moves on to the next headline, but God doesn't. He sees the pain and hurt. In remote places, smaller scale, larger scale disasters, God sees us all. First, I talked to my husband, the chief operating officer at Samaritan's Purse, Edward Graham, about how our leadership at Samaritan's Purse responds to disasters. Often it's just dad's guidance direction, like it's on his heart, we're going to go there. And it has nothing to do with the news, Um, you know, not chasing cameras. You know, what I love about North American ministries, and I see this all the time when we deploy somewhere, you'll go to a tornado hurricane, and there's a lot of organizations there. And in two weeks, they're gone. So, for example, Mayfield, Kentucky, I mean, as over two years ago, almost three years ago, we responded to a tornado there. Um and help with recovery efforts. We're still there building homes. Mm-hmm. You know, now I'd, we'd love to speed up and get quicker, but we stay until the disaster is over. And part of that disaster is getting people into homes, and that's what I appreciate about various parts of the ministry. Um, but the other times, it's just where Dad has had it on his heart. You're going to go, and we're going we're gonna to serve there. I think of Scripture on this one. We use it all the time because we're called Samaritan's Purse, but the story of the Good Samaritan and that the fact that it was the person you least expected to stop, stopped for someone that was considered their enemy and loved them. Now, the Levite, the pastor, the priest, they walk by. Those are the ones you would expect. Would Samaritan's person not be just as guilty <laughs> and be that, even though, we're hey, there's a fire, we're going to that fire. But you look over to that, you know, as we're running to the fire, there's a house in the water and the flood over there. There's a person in the ditch. God put that person in your path, and we need to stop and help. Now, Samaritan's Purse can't be everywhere, mm-hmm. unfortunately. I wish we could. We can't be at every disaster. Sometimes we hear, but well, why aren't you there? We also have certain capabilities and skill sets that God's entrusted to us um, and resources here that he's given to the ministry that are his to use, and we're expected to use them. But we can't get so focused with our blinders on that we pass by the people that God puts in our path. Mm-hmm. And so there are all those times in those stories um, I think, example, we were recently down in Florida, and I was down with Liberty students uh, serving on a home. And 
there was really there was a lot of damage. There was homes really damaged that needed repair. But this was like the first home I was going through it, and it there's no way we were repair it. They were trying to repair it. I'm like, guys, stop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ma'am, would it be all right? And can I offer Samaritan's Purse be involved that we and the body of Christ can offer you a new home? Now, this would be a gift from God, but can we just give you a new home? And she fell, you know, into my arms and crying. And again, it's not it's not a gift from Edward or or Franklin Graham. Samaritan's Purse has given us resources to be able to do that, but she needed a new home. I could have just said, well, we'll repair it to the best of our, our ability, mm-hmm. and because we were not committed to a rebuild there. Mm-hmm. Committing to a rebuild takes resources, staff, you, you, you've set up an office there, there's case management that has to go. She was the only person in that entire storm. Mm-hmm. We could have just said it would have been a lot easier not to, not to do a rebuild there. Mm-hmm. But one person needed it, mm-hmm. so we did a rebuild there. And, um, you know, I think of that example. There's others that don't get a lot of attention, even, you know, just there's so much that Samaritan's Purse does. But I look at the church building projects up in Alaska. They change those communities forever. These communities are dark, spiritually dark. Um, There's no roads. There's no way to get there, usually by plane or by boat. And these kids face darkness, uh, alcoholism, sexual abuse, drugs are rampant in these communities. These kids have nowhere to escape from this. And that's why I love the fact that you know we're going in and partnering with local churches and we build a building. We're just building a safe, warm structure in Alaska. And the church, the body of Christ, feels that and worships. And that's how the community grows in their faith and their walk there. And it doesn't get a lot of publicity. Volunteers show up and give up weeks of their time to go up there and serve. Um, I, I love that part of the ministry. I love our volunteers. You meet them, and they're, they're like-minded. They want to serve the person in the ditch. They don't want to pass anybody by. And they give up so much of their time. We People often talk about donors, and they think of financial gift. I think of the time gift. That's financial to them. They're giving up their time, a paycheck somewhere else probably. But they, uh, they're such servants. And um, so those untold stories are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And what they do in sacrifice to be a part of ministry, we have the resources, we need the people, and they show up. I love how Samaritan's Purse runs to those in the ditches of life. Even if it's just for one person, helping is always worth it. Next, we talk to Elliot Tenpenny, who serves as the director of the International Health Unit at Samaritan's Purse. Medicine is a fantastic avenue to introduce people to the one who can heal them spiritually, Jesus Christ. And these medical teams, they work in some of the toughest places with ongoing programs or emergency responses. And this includes things like cholera treatment units and burn teams. I asked Elliot about a burn team that was recently sent to Liberia. In Liberia, there was a explosion that happened with a fuel tanker that um, I believe killed upwards of 80 people and um, sent another 100, I believe, to the hospital. Um, And one of those hospitals they sent them was a mission hospital that we have supported in the past, the World Medical Mission, Elwa Hospital. This uh, hospital received these patients and quickly realized, you know, burn patients are so incredibly challenging and resource intensive to manage. If you can imagine, uh, you know, half or more of people's body being burned, the rehabilitation, the multiple surgeries, the materials it takes to serve those people uh, to get them from the event to well again, as well as they can be 
can be almost impossible in these places. So when this event happened in Liberia, they came to uh, the hospital that we support, Elwa, and they reached out saying, is there any way we can help? And we had just done this in Armenia during uh, the um, huge uh, movement of people into Armenia and the war that was taking place there. There was a gas station that exploded. And we had sent multiple teams to the government uh, facilities to provide healing for the mass number of patients and learned a tremendous amount. So we were able to tap into that model. This team was uh, composed of burn ICU nurses, uh, surgeons, um, and other medical personnel that were specific for burns. We also um, immediately put together from our um, capacity here at headquarters the uh, immediate quantities of burn-specific materials. They were able to hand carry over with them to be able to provide for the care. And we mobilized a significant amount of medical supplies, consumables and pharmaceuticals that we sent into Liberia that would arrive soon thereafter. So immediately enough material and people to make a huge difference and save lives of the uh, folks that were burned on the ground and then more material to continue to take care of them because it often takes weeks and weeks of treatment. There are a lot of small-scale disasters, things that overwhelm local capacity. And it's all about watching for where that need is, where that um, significant um, medical necessity exists for us to come in and lend a helping hand. Um, Everything we do surrounds the gospel of Jesus Christ. This burn team that was sent to Liberia is a fantastic example of how God sees, even when the event isn't making the headlines. And I love how Elliot put it. It's often about looking for places where the local community's resources are overwhelmed. I talked to Edward about how he has seen God move when responding to large and small-scale disasters. And, uh, you know, this episode, we want to highlight Genesis 16, you know, where God comes to Hagar. You know, she is mistreated uh, by God's people um, and fled into the desert, feeling hopeless, you know, just in a bad situation, and, and God sends an angel to come to her. And that's the first time Elroy is coined, God sees. Mm-hmm. So that's what this episode, we want to show that God sees. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, big disasters, you know, Ukraine, Israel, everyone's praying and wanting to help and wanting to get involved. But then there's small scales that people don't see. But God sees, mm-hmm. you know, and I love that he goes to Hagar, you know, and un, not an Israelite, not one of God's people. He goes to her mm-hmm. and her situation doesn't change, but she's changed because she's encountered God. Mm-hmm. And I think God allows us to bring the gospel to a hopeless situation. Mm-hmm. And, and we do try to help physically, as you mentioned, but the biggest importance is spiritual. Mm-hmm. So I guess just how have you seen, you know, God allow us to go into big disasters, but also small disasters in the name of Jesus, to share the gospel and bring hope, you know, and allow people to see God. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about the the big tornadoes or the hurricanes that are all in the news, and they'll be in there for, for weeks, usually, maybe sometimes days, and then they leave. The, the press moves on. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time. But then there's a little disasters. So maybe it's only three or four homes mm-hmm. that are affected, but that person needs help. And local churches want to serve, but they don't have the resources that God's you know, and trust is Samaritan's purse. North America Ministries is currently responding to a tornado in our home state of North Carolina. Within the first week of this response, there were over 200 volunteers that came to serve, a total of 1,600 hours. 
And it's such an encouragement to see the local community come together to rally behind families in Catawba County. I had the chance to talk to Matt Campbell, the program manager who was on the ground for this response. And I know, you know, this is not a small storm to this community, you know, but in the world events, you know, it 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 is not still in the headlines. It is not making the news. So how have you seen that play out in this response? You know, there's a lot of ways that God's been involved in how we're being able to reach this community. I know even for myself, I live, I'm from a small town in Pipeville, Kentucky. And as I was talking to a homeowner who was his cousin passed away in the storm. Mm-hmm. Found out that he's actually from the exact same small town as me and knows some of the same people that my family know. And that mm-hmm. really allowed him to open up in ways that I don't think he would have otherwise. And so mm-hmm. God's putting a lot of small connections with these homeowners that we're able to communicate on a more personal level. And it just shows that God's making sure we are able to love on these homeowners in a special way, which mm-hmm. is a very unique opportunity for our volunteers as well. As they go out and just love on these homeowners, I know another one that they were out serving with the other day he shares how he doesn't always go to God unless things are going bad in his life. And he's hoping to get more involved in church. And you know, he's praying for his wife, who's not always as open to uh, hearing the love of Christ. And so by doing this, it allows us to remind homeowners who don't know him that there are people in the world that care for them, but also that Jesus loves them just like we do. I loved hearing Matt share even these small connections of being from the same hometown with this homeowner. It reminded me how personal God is. I also talked to Jason Kimmack, the Senior Director of North America Ministries, to hear his perspective. Well, it's, it's one of the things I think I love about Samaritan's Purse is we go to the hurting, and it doesn't have to be in the news uh, f- mm-hmm. for us to go. Like, we, we run to the disaster, and, you know, in today's world, the the uh, the news cycle is so quick, and... Um, you know, you may get 30 seconds on something, and that's all you'll ever hear about it again. And, you know, that, that disaster may, may affect 100, 200, 500 people, and um, that may affect them the rest of their life. And, uh, but the news just keeps, keeps moving on. But it's amazing how a flood, a tornado, straight-line winds, um, a hurricane can uh, bring someone real quick into their thoughts as to, you know, what is life all about and why am I here and is I don't have anything anymore. And so that opportunity then is presented for us to go in and, and help with the physical piece, but then most importantly to go in and share the gospel and the hope of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. One that comes to mind, you know, because obviously a huge hurricane, like, yeah. that makes national headlines. Obviously, everyone's concerned. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of people get involved and want to respond. But then there's smaller ones, like the one in Catahoula County that we're, we're just responding yeah. to a tornado. Mm-hmm. And we just talked to Matt Campbell, you know, about that. I mean, yeah. it's devastating, those that lost family members and lost their homes. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know about it. So yeah. talk to me about the smaller responses and how does, I guess, God even uh, meet your team in a different way when the national news isn't covering it? Yeah, so we always look at these as opportunities to go share the gospel, not as how quickly can we just go help mm-hmm. the community. And so there's we, there's some responses even this year that, you know, we went and we were there for one week. Um, but there was such devastation and hurt, and I would say even in Catawba County as well, that um, there, there are next-door neighbors, and... It's an opportunity to help those who are hurting, uh, just to help them clean up. But most importantly, chaplains from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association come in, and they're trained um, with these types of situations with trauma. And 
you know, when a disaster strikes. And so they're going on to, to spend time with the family and mm-hmm. uh, pray with them, uh, but also share the hope of, of Jesus Christ with them as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, you've been to disasters all over the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many this past year alone. Uh, so maybe a lot of stories come to mind, but yeah. again, he doesn't need us, but he allows us to be his presence in times of trouble and allow us to share the gospel. So maybe how have you seen a family member see God through a traumatic situation? Yeah, so I, one response, and you know, I think those who are listening, have they ever heard of Highland Falls, New York, mm-hmm. um, right up near West Point? And I know that was very special to you and Edward and the family. And mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, flash storm comes up, flash flooding, and uh, the river just gets super high and floods out uh, a good number of homes in Highland, Highland Falls. And I think it was on the news, again, 30 seconds at, at one point. And so um, we saw it as an opportunity to go, and it was going to be valuable ministry. And uh, we went up, uh, brought our disaster relief unit, and had volunteers come in from around the country. And it was really fruitful ministry. Um, mudding out homes are, are really difficult. I mean, it is usually this is from a, a thunderstorm where it's hot outside, and um, once that storm passes, the heat comes back, and there's you know it's really uh, humid, and mm-hmm. that home has been soaked uh, with the water, and so the mold's going to start very soon. And uh, many of these homes had uh, a good bit of water in them, and so one one in particular. Um, you know, we we were doing some mud out, so you're you're taking a lot of times a lot of their belongings out just to help them dry, help them figure out what can they keep and what what do they need to throw away. Um, but one family in particular, this was uh, kind of within the first uh, week and a half, I think. The team was out mudding out the home, and our, our chaplains from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was spending time with the dad, uh, the father in the in the home, and um, you know. Had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, and and uh, you know, came to faith in Christ that day, and uh, just you know, had never really pondered kind of what life's all about, and and that he needed Jesus Christ, and so the team continued to work. It was one of those that took several hours, and um, we realized the next day we probably had a little bit more work, and then you know, some follow up with the chaplains as well. And at that time, he was home by himself. And uh, so the next day, they continued to work, and the chaplains came back just to check on him, just to see how he's doing. And uh, his wife and his daughter were home that day. And so when you think of, okay, that was maybe the first opportunity was was to speak with this man. Well, mm-hmm. the second day came, and, and now there was a new opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And after spending some time with uh, uh, the man's wife and daughter, they both came to faith in Christ as well. So... Two divine appointments in two days in the same family, and uh, you know they were so happy. One would just the help with their house, but you know for the next couple of weeks they would come by the disaster relief unit, and I think they brought cookies and donuts, and they were talking about how excited they were about their newfound faith and getting plugged into a local church, and you know that's one family out of uh, you know the seventy five hundred we've helped this year, and uh, they're not a number. They're uh, they're real human beings that need the Lord, and uh, came that you know from that disaster came to faith in Christ. I love the stories that Jason shared. They display the importance of these ministry opportunities that disasters often create. Edward talked more about responses that may have been unseen in the last year, as well as a personal story that set the tone for his time with the ministry. 
Yeah, and so we can't be too busy. We have to be grounded and focused on the Lord. So I guess, yeah, how can we be praying for wisdom and discernment? Because I know that's required in order to be able to respond and and be trustworthy with you know good stewards of what God's given us. So I guess, how have you seen leadership do that, and how can we be praying? My role as a chief operation officer in the morning when we do devotions and people are, you know, we sit there and I'll ask somebody how I can pray for them. And they ask, how do you, you know, how can I pray for you? And I always, almost always pray, pray for wisdom and discernment to make the right decisions, um, especially with uh, what to do with the resources and where to respond and where to go. And the easiest part of this is Alton Dad just tells us it's on his heart. And it, for the listeners out there, it is, Dad is so sensitive. You know, he, Dad and I are introverts, and so I'll let you all in a little bit. Some people may think Dad's hard to approach. He's not, and he's very sensitive with the gospel. Bob Pierce, founder of Samaritan's Purse, let your heart be broken, pierced by the things that break the heart of Jesus Christ. And Dad has that tenderness. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows we can't be everywhere, and he knows that Samaritan's Purse does things very well. Um, but in those places of the world that we can't be, we have some good friends there. And usually we can partner, work through them, or give them resources. Mm-hmm. So when we pray uh, in the morning, I pray for that wisdom, but let my heart be pierced and broken by the things that break the heart of Jesus Christ, that tenderness. That was a Bob Pierce saying. And uh, ever since I've come on board, I often think of that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of people that follow or look at our website or you know watch the videos, which are awesome, but can you even think about like a small story that the news headlines will never cover? Yeah. Uh, so I can remember when I first came home uh, to Samaritan's Purse, a tornado hit Opelika, Alabama. And uh, Dad called me. He was traveling, and uh, he goes, I want you down there. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right. So I, I, I got down there the next morning. We were already sending assessment team, but he wanted me down there. Um, but when the tornado, they said, hit a cell phone tower, I knew exactly where the cell phone tower they're talking about was. It's on the backside of the drop zone that I used to jump on at Fort Benning, Georgia. But we were at a home. We have work orders. People call in and ask for help. We were working on this one home, and this lady just happened. She was by herself. She walked over next door and was like, can I have some help, too? And I was like, ma'am, of course. Uh, we go over to serve and help her. She wasn't on our work order that day. Um, it was near the end of the day. It was cold. Um, but we weren't going to leave, and, and she didn't have as much damage. She did have a tree fall down in her yard. Fortunately, didn't tear up too much of her property. But as we were cleaning up, she came out to um, a lot of those volunteers, and I remember her putting her arm around uh, one of the volunteers. And the neat thing about it, he's a he was a former ranger um, of ours, and we knew him from church. You and I knew him, and I had no idea he was going to show up. He was out of the army and living in the area and volunteering. And she just put her arm around him, loved him. She goes, "You're my hero." No one else was going to come. And people don't get to see that story. She wasn't part of the work orders that day. It's just one of those things that fell in her lap. And it was just a couple trees. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that that kind of set that tone in me like, and that understanding of ministry. God will put the right people and uh, in your path. And as we talked with her and prayed with her, we talked about heroes. I talked to her about that kid being a ranger and that, that he was a hero to this country. But then I also talked to him about Jesus Christ and about, you know, my hero. And that's one of the first people when I was in ministry here at Samaritan's Purse that I watched get be led to the Lord. So that will always be in my memory bank about who God puts in here. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for, yeah, I think pulling back the curtain and we just wanted to kind of give people insight. And like as as we see in Scripture time and time again, I mean, Jesus 
gave that analogy of leaving the 99 to go after the one. I mean, he cares about every soul mm -hmm. and he sees every brokenness and every sign, but he allows us to be part of that work. And so you give us a good challenge, even in our day-to-day, -day, wherever we are, we are called to in our sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. But I also want to give people a glimpse into what Samaritan's Purse is doing around mm -hmm. the world. Like you said, he doesn't need us, mm -hmm. but blessed is me that gets to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed hearing from the hearts of our staff about the God who sees. And today I want to close with the passage that I read at the beginning of this episode because I think it it's even more meaningful after hearing all these testimonies and stories that God sees today, just as he did in the Old Testament of the Bible. Genesis 16:13 says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Again, God sees. He sees us in our highs and in our lows. And in all the uncertainty, fear, and disappointment, the Lord sees us. And not only does he understand, but he comes alongside us and he meets us where we are. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a great week. God bless you.